to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. So this morning, we have the privilege of hearing from Dr. Roy King. Would you join me here? I had the um, privilege of meeting Dr. King when I was working at a university. Well, student first, right? <laughs> then working at a university. And um, Dr. King was professor there and director of different departments. And um, it is always a pleasure to hear him speak. And I know that you will enjoy it. So uh, we'll turn it over to you. Good. Thanks, Jay. Well, uh, we're in the middle of a series uh, this uh, on ordinary people in the gospel, and uh, just to give a shout out, I really sort of like this format because it reminds me of going to a rock concert and everybody holding their phones up and recording, makes you feel real famous. Yeah, I see that phone, yeah, yeah, uh, feel like Bono or something. Okay, so anyway, um, Pastor Tim is home not well this morning, but not COVID, but just not well. And so I thought it might be good. He is, he did tell me that he would not be out in the water and that he would be watching online. So he's watching right now. And so uh, I thought it might be good if we all sort of stood up. And then when I go one, two, three, then you say, praying for you, Tim. Can you say that? Sort of watch me. Let's do it together. All right, everybody stand up. Okay, on three. One, two, three. Praying for you, Tim. Amen. All right. When this series started several weeks ago, and I was sitting out here with you guys, the first thing that popped in my mind is, oh, I hope we I hope they do Lazarus. He's my favorite ordinary person. And I'll try to explain why. Cause, and that's so when Tim and I talked about me preaching this week, I said, can I do Lazarus? And he said, sure, have at it, you know, kind of thing. So uh, it's just very much, this has been my favorite person in the Gospels, besides Jesus, of course. Jesus is always the right Sunday school answer, you know. But besides Jesus, Lazarus is one of my favorite people in the Gospels. And so we're going to be looking at John 11. And then a couple of verses in John 12, but his story really begins in John 11. So we'll be be starting there. But why why Lazarus? Why is he so special to me? Why do I want to share that with you? Well, one is, with our recent context of the pandemic, uh, there's so much of our life that feels unpredictable, out of control, plans being canceled, things not happening as we thought they would, new plans put in place, and then those crash before they even get send out all the emails, and we have to redo the plan. We're always replanning the plan, and there's a great deal of uncertainty, and uh, it creates a real general sense, almost like you're walking around under a dark cloud is what I feel many days, a dark cloud of anxiety and and fear. And um, so in the midst of that, it's good to look at how Jesus interacted with an ordinary person whose life suddenly crashed on the rocks and went through some real traumatic pandemic type for his life experience. Now, it may, for you, the pandemic may not be the biggest thing in your life right now, 
It may be something much more personal for you. It may be a, your own personal crisis. It could be a crisis for some of you who are like us, who are now parenting adult children. It could be a crisis in the life of one of your adult children, and you're trying to sort out, you know, how do we parent at this stage of life? We can't take them and lock them in their room or put them in their crib. We can't even get out the duct tape and work on them a little bit. You know, how do you parent um, your adult children? So maybe that's your crisis of the moment, your, your Lazarus moment. Um, I taught, uh, as Jay mentioned, for over 20 years uh, in a seminary. And one of my early students, who was also a uh, student worker for me during that time, around 2000 to 2002 or so, was a young man named Tim Buckite. And uh, Tim is now on a pastoral team in Montana, has been for, for many years. His wife's name is Pam, and uh, they adopted two young children from Russia. And um, just, just sweet, sweet. The only thing weird about Tim is he loves to watch ice skating on TV. And, of course, you know, being in the South with basketball and football and stuff, we ribbed him continually about him telling us about the latest ice skating thing he watched. And we're like, Tim, we don't care. Ice skating is nerd. Town, you know, you got to get into college football. So anyway, but I found out from another friend, a fellow student of mine, alum, we were talking on the phone yesterday, and he said, did you hear about Tim? And I said, what's going on? No, I hadn't talked to Tim in a couple of years or longer. And he said, well, he went just for a routine checkup, and also because he was having a cough in his chest, he couldn't seem to shake it and wondered maybe if it could be, you know, the COVID stuff. And it was not COVID. Instead, it was a, a massive tumor that's, that's mashing on his lungs, mashing on his heart, affecting his kidneys. I mean, it's big time. And he had written an email to a few of his former students. So I texted him uh, this morning just to tell him that I'd gotten the report from Nate and had heard about his situation. I mean, we're talking about he just got this word like Thursday, I believe it was, last Thursday. So it hadn't even been a week yet. This is what he texted back to me. Thank you for, for my text. We are shocked, of course, but we're doing well and we're experiencing the Lord's peace. The elders are praying for me at church today. Tests continue this week as the oncologist seeks a definitive diagnosis. I'll keep you posted for sure. So grateful for you. Maybe that's sounds familiar to you. Maybe you've been in the middle of getting some of those kinds of texts. I'd like to pause and pray for my brother Tim Buckeye and his wife Pam and their two boys who I've seen pictures of them a lot back when they were infants and adopted and now they're, I think one just got out of the military and another one's a young adult. So if I could, I'd like to lead us in prayer for the Buckeye family in Montana if you'll join me. Father, I pray that today will be a Lazarus encounter for Tim and Pam and the boys. I pray that as the church gathers and the elders anoint and pray over my brother, I ask you for healing for him. I ask you to show up, Jesus, as the God of resurrection and life. I ask you to extend his days. 
I know these young men that they're raising desperately need their dad. From our perception, Lord, this would be the best. Extend his days with grace and mercy and strength. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to John chapter 11 and verse 1. I'm going to read a few verses, but it's a very long passage. So in some places, I'm going to sort of paraphrase uh, to get us through on time. Kim said we'd need to send everybody home by 12 o'clock. So, <laughs> No, I've sat where you sat for several weeks, so it won't be that bad. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this is Mary. It hadn't even happened yet. It's going to happen in chapter 12. But John throws in that this is the same Mary who is the brother of Lazarus who puts the perfume on Jesus' feet and hair and on his head and wipes it with her hair. And so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. That's an interesting phrase because John, who this is his gospel, John called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he refers to himself. And it's interesting that he recounts here that that's also the way Mary and Martha thought of their relationship with Jesus. And they had no hesitation to say, Lord, the one you love, and know that he would know that they were talking about Lazarus. And when he heard this, verse 4, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No. And this is the line you need to underline in your Bible or if you're using your phone, highlight this next phrase from Jesus. It is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now does that sentence read weird to you? He loves them, and then he stays over on the other side of the Jordan River, on the other side of Jericho, where he had gone to be away from the leaders in Jerusalem who wanted to kill him. And he goes over there, and he, he spends ministry over there near where, the area where John, the baptizer, had worked early in, but when Jesus was first stepping out in ministry in the Judean area. And he's going to slowly make his way back toward Jerusalem. It's going to take him several weeks. And there's a whole lot of stuff that you can read about that happens in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that happens during that period of time while he has left the Judean area and uh, at the realm of them trying to throw him out, stone him to death, and saying, he said, what miracle are you trying to stone me for? And they said, not your miracles. We're going to stone you because you, a man, are claiming to be God. So the enemies understood what Jesus was saying about himself, and he knew it wasn't his time yet. And so he had gone over to that area. That's a long walk and, and quite a distance. So when the message gets to him, he's somewhere in that area, and he gets the message from Mary and Martha. He then just stops, puts up camp, and stays for two more days there in the area. He does not head out for Bethany for two more days. That's confusing. He loves, but he stays away. He didn't even send a text. My friends, Jesus is sometimes called the suffering servant. It's one of his titles of himself. 
And for those whom Jesus loves, sometimes he says, we're going to go into a special place together. It's going to be a place where I'm going to teach you some things that I could not teach you in any other way than for us to walk this path of uncertainty and suffering together. I've had a couple of those moments in my life. That's when I first discovered Lazarus. And if you want to talk to me more about my individual stories and waking up in ICU and so forth and and discovering that Jesus was there with me and somehow there was something special God did in those moments in my life that I have cried over since then saying, Lord, how can I get back to what I experienced with you in that moment? How do I get back to that? Because... I'm getting busy again. Life is getting noisy again. My quiet times are getting more shallow again. And somehow there was a purifying and a separating and a a coming together in that moment where you said, I love you and I'm going to take you into a place. Just trust me. I'm going to be with you. And I actually got into those places and I think I could say like Lazarus learns to say and Mary and Martha learned to say, If Jesus is with me, that's all that matters. I no longer have to have answers to the why questions, which Jesus never gives in this story. He never tells us why, except in the global purpose of it. And he alludes to it right here. This sickness, in verse 4, will not end in death. It's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. I thought maybe I could get by without my tea, but I can't. Now, let's take that word glory for a moment. Do you know what the word glory means? Literally in the language. If you were were just walking around in the culture in the first century, how would you use the word glory and it not be about God? Well, the way one of the frequent ways it was used was when you went to work with a tailor or your mother or some of the ladies in the village and they were going to make you clothing. And after they've made maybe just the off-white that's in the desert sun and everything, you want everything to be light-colored. So you've got sort of the white robe that's going to hang down pretty far and you've got another small garment underneath that and it lets the air come through and help to ventilate and cool things off. But it's pretty drab looking. Everybody's got one. Everyone's is of the same color. And you didn't waste dye to dye these document, these the garments because it would have been very expensive and plus it would fade. But to glorify the garment would mean that you would braid some colored threads or in some other way you would put a decoration you would somehow highlight that garment. Maybe it would be some kind of a metal medallion. Sometimes they would take coins and make almost like jewelry that would be like brooches or pins and pin on the document, the garment. But the point is that whenever those attractions, those things that made that garment unique and stand out, you would say, oh, you have glorified the garment. 
You've drawn the eye to it. You've drawn attention. When I walk into the synagogue, all the other guys are going to go, whoa, look at his new coat. Look at it. Remember Joseph with his multicolored coat? That was a couple thousand years ago, before this time, but it was the same concept. To glorify. And so he says, no. It's going to actually, what happens with Lazarus and Mary and Martha is going to actually bring God attention. And people are going to focus on God. And that is really what the story is all about. You see, in your Bible it may say, <clears throat> under this section of Scripture, the raising of Lazarus. But this is not about Lazarus, really. Jesus says repeatedly, Lazarus gets to play in this scene of the story. But it's not about Lazarus. It's Jesus' story. Jesus does love His people. He does love His friends. But He also knows that the most loving thing that Jesus can do is for people to come to the truth and believe in the God who created the heavens and the earth and to see Him as God in the flesh who's come to be the Savior and to believe in Him. Ultimately, that's the most loving thing that God could do. And so God says to His children, to those whom He loves, I'm inviting you into my story so that people will believe in me. That's the greatest gift you could give them. The greatest gift you could give them. So in verse 7, he starts talking about that he wants to go and be with them. And so in verse 8, the disciples say, But Rabbi, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you. We're going back. And so Jesus does a little teaching about working while it's daylight and now is the time and we need to capture the time. And then he says in verse 11, <clears throat> our friend Lazarus is falling asleep. I'm going there to wake him up. Well, the disciples responded like any people would about medical stuff. Hey, if, you, if somebody's been really sick and they're able to sleep, that's usually a real healing thing. And so they replied that way. If he's going to go to sleep, Lord, he's getting better. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, listen to this, Lazarus died for you. Lazarus died for your sake. I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Let's go to him. You see what Jesus' agenda is about? You see what the storyline of the story is about? The pandemic is just another chapter in God's story where He says the main point of this story is people seeing God and bowing before Him and trusting Him. So again, he stresses. Now, if you're filling in the blanks, this is the first one. Am I Here's the question. Am I trying to get Jesus to make my story work? 
or am I thrilled to have a part in his story? And the his story is what you fill in. <clears throat> Repeat it again. Lesson close, because I'm going to do like Pastor Tim and ask you to discuss it a little bit for a couple of minutes. When you get up each day, are you trying to get Jesus to make your life story, your goals, your script, your story for your life, are you trying to get Jesus to make your life work? Or are you willing to be that actor who's on the edge of the stage and you're just hoping that the star of the play will give you a small chance to be in the play and be a part of his story. Are we trying to get Jesus to make our story work or are we just thrilled to let him give us a part in his story? All right, turn to family or you can slip your mask on and stand up for a second, but I'm, I'll be watching the time and discuss that for a moment. What's the difference? How do you know? How do you know when you have slipped in to trying to make to Jesus making your story work or you've laid your story down and you're saying, Lord Jesus, I welcome any part you want to give me in your story. How do you know the difference between those two? How do you recognize it in your daily life? Talk about it for a minute. Okay, let's come back together. You may want to journal and think on that some more this week. I've, I've done that with the questions Pastor Tim has used. Uh, I, I write them up in the corner of my journal, and then I'll come back to them and think some more about them during the week. Let God continue to teach me what I need to see and understand and apply. But the reality is, is that Jesus loves us and He invites us to be a part of His story. And point number two in your notes, that that story is about believing Him, believing in Him. Here's a prayer that I wrote down in my journal about almost uh, nine and a half years ago. One of the first times that Lazarus became critical in my life. Lord... Let me play in any scene, take on any role, so that others receive eternal life by believing in you. Maybe you could write your own prayer of surrender and laying down your story and asking to have a scene and a role, a chapter, a short scene. Be listed in the credits when the movie rolls at the end. Now, verse 16, Thomas really reflects a person of great faith. When Jesus says, we're going to go back and we're going to see Lazarus, Thomas says, okay, let's go, verse 16, let's go die with him. So, I mean, Thomas is just so convinced that Jesus is going to be able to take care of him. He's going to be big enough, bigger than the religious leaders in Jerusalem. But verse 17 says that when they arrive back near Bethany, which is less than two miles from Jerusalem, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now that's mentioned again down with Martha when Jesus says, roll the stone away. And uh, Martha says in verse 39, 
by this time there's going to be a bad odor, for he's been there four days. In that culture, there was a belief, not a biblical belief at all, but there was just a cultural belief, probably came out of Egyptian culture, honestly, from what a little bit we could figure out. But the belief was that when the body died, that the first three days, the spirit of the body uh, stayed close by, close by the, the, the this physical body. But then on the fourth day, the spirit went into the afterlife. Now, that's not anywhere in the Bible. But it is interesting that if you were considered that you had been dead for four days, you were really dead. There was absolutely no hope. And if you remember, the other times Jesus has raised people from the dead, which have been several in His ministry, it's been just shortly after their death. And now, they're standing in front of a, a tomb with a big rock rolled in front of it, and the person inside has been dead for four days. Now, I'm not, not going to really go over... This sermon is not on Martha and Mary. That'll be somebody else. Uh, Megan or somebody or Tim can take Martha and Mary and teach on them in this situation, in this encounter. But I do want to pick it up in verse 33. Or, excuse me. Let me go back up and pick up one verse in verse 25. Verse 25. Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha says, yes, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who's come in to the world. Jesus wants them to know that life that He gives, eternal life we call it, that eternal life is greater than death. At 2 o'clock today, my son-in-law is doing his grandmother's funeral in Seneca, South Carolina. And she died about a week ago. And it's a memorial service. My son-in-law, uh, who's a fine, fine young man, I'm very pleased to call him my son. Really, not just son-in-law. He feels much more like a son to me. Especially when he comes and helps me do chores around the house. <laughs> But David is doing Mima's funeral today. And he asked me to read over his, uh, his script the other night. And I love the idea that he was stressing to his family, many of whom are not Christ followers, and he was stressing to them that Mima was more alive now than she had been a week ago. And that she's with Jesus. And he stressed the quality of eternal life that Mima would want to see the rest of her family, not only think about it in terms of their physical death, but to realize there's a quality of eternal life that comes from trusting in Jesus that they need now. <laughs> that many of them are living as dead people now. And that Jesus wants to give them eternal life now. Jesus is life. He says. So verse 35. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, See how he loved Lazarus? But some of them said, Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept his man from dying? 
You see what they're saying? We believe in a Jesus who's big enough to heal a blind person. We do not believe in a Jesus who could bring a person back to life from death. And what I wrote in my journal about 10 years ago, after I read that verse right there, was I said, God, forgive me for only praying the prayers of a small God. Do my prayers make God look small? What do I not pray about? Because I'm afraid that that one's just too much for God. And he says, I want you to come to that point of total trust. You can believe in me. You can believe in me. That physical death is just like going to sleep. You ever done this with one of your children? Or maybe it happened to you. That uh, you went to sleep in the car while they were driving you home and you're a little kid in the back seat. And then when you get home, say your dad gets you out of the car, you're still sleeping, he carries you upstairs, he puts you in your bed. You don't even know it. You know, you're solid asleep through the whole night. You wake up the next morning and, whoa, you're in your bedroom and you're, well, how did that happen? When Jesus says to his disciples earlier in the story, well, Lazarus has just gone to sleep. But he was using that to talk about death. My friends, that's how Jesus feels about death. It's just going to sleep and then waking up in a much better place with him. Can we trust God in that? Can we trust God in that? That's what he's trying to help these people get to. Mary, Martha, his disciples, the crowd. And this is what's happening that's so interesting. Verse 40. Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? There's that word glory again. Your attention is going to be focused on God. And you can believe in Him. And so they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father... I thank you that you've heard me. I know you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. What does he say in that prayer? That they may believe that you sent me. I invited Lazarus to be a part of people coming to believe in you, Father. And, I'm, and my part in this, this story is to say this prayer out loud so they will know exactly who's doing the miracle, what the agenda is, and what, we, what it is they're supposed to walk away talking about. And so then he calls out, verse 43, <clears throat> Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, which was the way they did that. They separated the legs and they wrapped up, wrapped up, wrapped the torso, wrapped each of the arms, had to wrap around the head. He comes stumbling out. And Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, Jesus leaves after that. And he comes back probably two to three weeks. 
And in chapter 12, verse 1, it says six days before the Passover. And we know He's going to be crucified right before the Passover. So Jesus comes to Bethany, chapter 12, verse 1, where Lazarus, what does it say? Where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Lazarus just went back to life. We don't know what his work was, but he got up the next morning and showed up at work, you know, and he and Mary and Martha, you know, were just talking off. But they throw a big dinner for Jesus and his disciples. The dinner is in Jesus' honor. Oh, wait a minute. Lazarus has just been back alive for a fairly short period of time, a couple of weeks. But the dinner's not for Lazarus. Why? Because Lazarus knows that the story is not about him. The dinner is to honor Jesus. They want everything in their life to honor Jesus. And Lazarus was among those that were reclining at the table with him. Now I want to drop down and finish with verses 9 and uh, through 11. <clears throat> Again, I'm skipping the part about Mary with the perfume. There's a whole bunch of good preaching in that, but I'll leave that for someone else. And go down to verse 9 because I want to stick with Lazarus. Now what would have been typical, <clears throat> would you, you were eating late in the evening when it's starting to cool off. And so they would have eaten near, not too far, just a one room over in the house probably. The kitchen was more of an outside kitchen that just had uh, a doorway into the rest of the house. You, because it was so hot and you had fire and charcoal and stuff, you kept that as much toward the outside of the house as you could. Then there was a, a table that sat right near the floor and so they're served, <clears throat> they're reclining on pillows and they eat the meal. But would have been very typical text doesn't say this, but it's a very typical way of doing the meals that time, that when the meal was over, they leave the table, because it's still really hot being inside the house, and they would go up the steps on the side of the house, up on the roof. You know, the roof's a pretty popular area in those houses. It was built solid to stand on, <clears throat> and you could get a breeze coming in off the desert. You'd have a better chance of catching a breeze. So they would take an, another flask of wine and uh, sort of like people would gather up on the roof. So they gather up on the roof. They're watching the sun as the last part of the sun is going down and setting. Jesus is there. Lazarus is there. Some of the disciples are there. And suddenly, some of the disciples come and they run up on the roof, let's say. So we're assuming a little bit of our imagination here. But look at verse 9 and 10. A large crowd of the Jews had found out that Jesus was there, and they came not only because of Jesus, but also to what? To see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now look at verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Now that's funny. You all ought to be laughing hysterically. The guy's been dead for four days. He's been out of the grave a couple of weeks and the chief priests and religious leaders are wanting to put him back in the grave. I would think, hey, Jesus raised this guy from the grave once and now he's got mobs of people believing in him. The last thing we want is anything else to happen to Lazarus. Because everybody will be following Jesus. 
But I can just see, here's Jesus and Lazarus, and they're up there, a few of the disciples. Some guys come up on the roof. Some of the disciples, oh man, Jesus, word is out. They not only have a bounty on your head, which the chief priests had put on there. You see that in chapter 11, the part I didn't read. But also, they say that they're going to kill Lazarus as well. They've got a bounty on Lazarus's head. Now, I can just picture this. Here's Jesus and Lazarus, and they lock eye contact. And they do a fist bump. Lazarus and Jesus. And then you see what Lazarus has on his T-shirt. Of course Lazarus had a T-shirt. It's a hot desert sort of place, man. You got on a white T-shirt, right? And printed on that T-shirt was, Lazarus's T-shirt said, Death. Been there, done it, and got the T-shirt. But in reality, they could probably look off the roof, and you know what they would see out near the house? There would be these big wooden troughs, according to the writings on the culture of the day, and the grave cloths would have been soaking in those pans for several days with water in those pans. Water very precious, by the way. And they would have kept water in there, and they would wash out those grave cloths and squeeze them out. And then they would take sort of like a drying rack made out of sticks, and they would hang the cloths after they've wrung all the spices and burial spices out. They would drape those white cloths, and they would be blowing in the breeze on this drying rack. And then they would scrape up the spices that had the water evaporated out, and they would reclaim those spices and put them in cloth bags and then seal them for the next burial. They reused them. That stuff was expensive. Those strips of cloth, you didn't just throw that away. No, you washed it out, and when they were needed for another body, they would be there. So you can just see the contrast the reality of death in this world, but the reality of Jesus and Lazarus saying, but there's a resurrection and there's a life that's much greater than death. Let the claws blow in the breeze. The death garments blow in the breeze. Jesus is alive and He gives life to His love, the ones He loves. Now here's the interesting thing to this story. You may be laying there thinking, man, I am just not as spiritual as Lazarus and Martha and Mary. I can't preach. I can't do stuff. Go through that whole passage and read it again when you get home. Lazarus never says one word in chapter 11 or 12. John does not record Lazarus saying anything. Martha and Mary, oh, they're chatterboxes. And Mary's sobbing and crying and weeping and gets Jesus stirred up and weeping. And Lazarus does not say one word. And yet many, many people came to be followers of Jesus because of what Lazarus went through with Jesus. Jesus has a place for you in His story. He has some scenes. He has some chapters for you in His story. 
Don't worry about what the scene is. Don't matter what role you're called to play. Don't even worry about memorizing your lines. You may not have any. <laughs> Just show up and say, Jesus, you love me. And any place I can be with you is the place I want to be. I want to be as close to your presence and your love as I can be. Skip, come on up. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.